What's going on? It's the end of the year. That's true. I was about to break out into a Christmas jingle, but then... Yeah, you didn't it really wasn't. have... It didn't seem like you had a <laughs> very really strong one on, <laughs> on, on I didn't deck. have one on hand, you know. That's okay. Yeah, we're here. Hi, we, Chad. Hi. It's the end of the year, our last episode. Yes. It's the very end. This is the end of the year recap. Almost Ooh. like we can call it the end of season one. Yeah. Solid six-month run for the first, I would say, season, mm-hmm. starting with Alice in Wonderland and... Wow. Now we're doing our end of the year recap. I know. It wasn't that long ago, but it feels like we've covered a lot of ground since yeah, then, which absolutely. has been fun. And the podcast has grown and evolved, and we've done more Val Chad episodes. So mm-hmm. it only feels right to end with one as well. Absolutely. We yeah. I mean, we, we kind of did a little bit of a soft uh, recap on our own. And mm-hmm. We weren't in the studio, and then we were like, no, we got to be in the studio because it's just like, it's just a different vibe. It feels better. It feels better. And there's a lot to talk about, I think. Yeah. We've yeah. talked about, I feel like our Val Chad episodes so far have been little mini check-ins about what's going on throughout the year, but it's always fun to kind of look back and be like, okay, what were the actual big takeaways from the year, big artists, big moments, mm-hmm. and then hear a little bit about what we're looking forward to. Because I do feel like, especially you, have many good kind of like sights set on artists that are going to do big things next year. Mm. And yeah, we always have a good time talking about like the trends and things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've listened to more music on volume uh, than I have in past years, but I haven't spent as much time with music Mm. if that makes sense yeah which i feel like was relevant from our conversation with a track right yeah i I think that um i do echo a lot of like what he was saying with how i know for me personally and we'll get into the spotify wrapped um portion or just kind of like our music recap of the year but Mm. definitely a lot more like vibes with Mm. my music listening and Mm -hmm. just like stuff in the background yeah and you know it happens like I also feel like it comes in waves. Like there's times where I'm much more invested in like the yeah. album of the moment or yeah. a playlist of new stuff or whatever. Did you have a similar experience at all? I feel like I did. And as you're saying that, I'm almost curious to know whether you think that's a symptom of where you're at personally in life or if you feel like it's more a symptom of just the music scene overall. Because I do feel similarly And especially thinking back this year on like what were the big music moments of like songs or albums that came out. I think it's just harder now because there's so much music that comes out that Mm -hmm. I feel like it takes a lot of effort to like find and dig for music. And I do feel like probably this year I didn't put as much effort into it as I could And maybe that's like a resolution for the coming year. But I feel like because of that, when I did find something, I really spent more time with just that, which maybe like made my scope of music feel smaller at the end of the year. Because I agree, like we've we've talked a little bit about Spotify wrapped and all that, where like when I got my Spotify wrapped back, I was like, oh, like I was really, the pattern of my listening this year was like finding one thing and just like really revisiting it over and over again. So yeah, yeah. I, I think that that is also not abnormal um, no. listening, you know, and um. I kind of wanted to start by talking about this article that was interesting. Mm. Uh, if we're going to talk about a 2023 recap, tell us more. Ramon sent me this one. It's from an uh, a writer named Sean Ronaldo, mm-hmm. I believe, coming out of the UK, 
and it said, not a great year for dance music, mm. aka having spent 2023 doubling down on the ridiculousness of 2022, the genre currently <laughs> sits in a rather uninspiring place. Wow. So, That's a hot take. Yeah. I mean, we talked a lot of this year about there being a renaissance, and I think one of the things about a renaissance in dance music, renaissance literally meaning rebirth, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe going back and market correcting like what dance music was this year, you know, because by all accounts, we're having the most successful year in dance music history when it comes to global revenue um, with a lot of artists that we're seeing do well, festivals and tours smashing. But then on the other hand, there's like a lot of people who are kind of struggling or having a little bit more difficulty and that's by sheer volume, right? Mm-hmm. Like the overall growth has been amazing. Um, but the argument in this article, and it's probably through this like UK lens where it's like not as American as we are commercial and we're into yeah. the selling of things, but we're seeing trends overall in dance music where it's gotten a lot more of a rehash of old trends, songs that everyone knew in the past, 90s stuff coming Samples, back. Yeah. yeah. And the argument was that 2022 kind of started this trend in the post-pandemic world and that 2023 kind of continued it so that it's kind of blended together that 2022 and 23 are kind of this this kind of, I don't know, this amalgamous mush of nonsense um, mm. where things are like people are more interested in dance music than ever, but there's less things that you're taking away that are memorable and like inspiring. Um, yeah. Did you have you felt that at all? I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it was an interesting article um, because I think in a way both things can be true at once because I feel like I, you know, remember remember when we had our conversation about the Renaissance and feeling like there was this new and excited energy about dance music, which I think is technically true because I do think that right now as we look back at the waves of dance music, like dance music gets really popular as far as like mainstream popularity goes. And then it'll kind of go away for a while. And like maybe something like hip hop or rock will kind of take over as far as mainstream commercial music popularity. Yeah. And I do actually feel like dance music is in a really popular peak right now. Like you look across some of the big commercial names, like John Summit just sold out a big stadium show here in LA. And like, that doesn't happen all the time like that's because people are really interested in his brand and like marketing and able to connect whether or not it's on a deeper level with like house music that he's putting out there and that is exciting in a way because it's like you're probably seeing more ticket sales than before you're seeing more people talk about it and get excited about these kind of shows and that does have a trickle effect down into other parts of music But at the same time, I do think that for people like us and other fans of dance music who spend more time in the space, we can look at some of the things that are going on on the surface and be like, it is kind of silly. It is kind of like surface level, you know, the samples that we see all the time, the remakes of songs that aren't even really that old and they kind of sound like the old song, but it's like maybe got like a house beat on it now. You're like, that's not like a deep moment for dance music, but it's popular it'll be on the radio. So like more people are experiencing it and getting exposed to it. So like, I do think both things can be true at once. And I do feel like the pro of it is that more people are being exposed to it. And therefore we have the opportunity for those people to then become like deeper fans. 
But at the same time, that's also the con is like there's just people out there who are just there for the party, just there for the moment. And like those people aren't going to stay necessarily. And that's brings its own kind of like weirdness and annoyance sometimes. But like I think that's where we're at, honestly, this year. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point, you know, and, and I think one of the things that the article um, that, that Sean had written in this article was that it felt like it feels like the underground is less exist existent in mm. at, at least in the uk in this person's argument that mm. some of these clubs that used to have like a very cultural focused um you know reputation and booking yeah has it's shifted more to like names and trends and things that are Having gonna a like, moment or yeah. something like that and yeah. the fact that the boiler room aesthetic has become mm-hmm. placed on the mainstream it almost makes like what well, i think boiler room is still underground or still leading in in that category of like putting on you know fringe artists and people on the edge and really focusing on you know the integrity of the culture but you know for up-and-coming promoters i think a lot of them feel like they need to go a little bit more into gimmicks and themes and yeah. You know, are I I actually do see a lot of renegades. So I I think in the United States like there are a lot of promoters that are trying to uphold sort of like an underground culture and do it on their own terms and I think that's great. So in that way I don't think the the writer was saying that it didn't exist. Yeah. It was just like I'm not seeing it as much. I don't I hope it exists. I want to say that it's out there. Yeah. And I'm basically saying that at least here I've seen on the West Coast and parts of the United States there is a good underground culture however on the whole we've seen even like people just saying raves straight up like Mm. to describe things and it's so interesting because that used to be the most taboo thing you could say like you almost wouldn't want to say rave Mm. because Mm. you're basically compromising the coolness or integrity of your event that was the thought process i think in the 2010s yeah which is like this ain't a rave Gary Richards basically at hard was like, we don't want you to bring glow sticks or candy. They basically outlawed it at LA Historic Park because there was a stigma associated with raves and the danger and the drug use and the shenanigans. Yeah. And they were like, we don't want rave. This is like a electronic music festival. This is a music festival. We don't want your raves. Mm-hmm. Leave your raving, leave your glow sticks <laughs> at the door. Um, but it's interesting how it's just like not like that anymore. Now it's like this is a rave. Yeah. There's gonna be like all the things that come with it. And the mainstream is buying into it. Hollywood Boulevard can have a rave now and yeah, you know, and things like that. Well, I do think probably the definition of rave has also changed quite a bit. Cause I agree that like I remember very clearly when people would say rave and you would think like, okay, it's a kid covered in candy with like silly glow sticks in their hand and like maybe they have a pacifier in their mouth and you're like, that's what a rave is. Whereas now I feel like a rave actually probably to most like mainstream folks is like, you're in Tulum, you've got your sunglasses on, you're listening to like kind music and you're like going around like this, like that's maybe- Really? I don't, I actually don't think, I feel like a rave is just like a, at this point, like just like a banging party. Interesting, okay. Because like Kanye West, I wish I didn't have to say his name, but uh, he and Ty Dolla Sign are are releasing an album called Vultures and they have been throwing these like pop-up raves. raves. Mm -hmm. I did see the word So it's like, I think, yeah, I think that word is being kind of, co-opted or taken back as mm-hmm. like uh this is gonna be a banger this is gonna be like a rager 
Interesting. And yeah. I think rave is like a really interesting way for people to create interest, mm-hmm. right? Like you don't want to say party. You don't really want to say like, I, I don't know. Like I just think that rave is a way of like, ooh, it's a rave. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm I'm like scrolling through and I see that there's a rave happening, you know? Yeah. And in any any certain way, like this language and the and the imagery we'll just get exhausted at some point. But right now we're in like a raves are at a premium type vibe or like it, they're having a, it's a rave moment right now. You know? Interesting. So I guess with all that being said, do you feel like, I was going to ask you a question about what we hope to kind of leave behind in 2023 and what we hope to see maybe more of in 2024. How do you feel about that specifically? Do you want us to leave that behind and maybe like redefine what we see a rave as? Or do you think we're going to see even more of that in 2024? Well, I mean, you know, the rave thing has been good. I I, I think that the growth of interest in dance music in the short term has been really good for anyone who works in the space because you just have more people to yeah. draw from and to appeal to Mm -hmm. however i do think that there's like certain etiquette and there's certain awareness and yeah engagement that is not always present yep and i think that there's some long time people and people who have this idea of plur and have this idea of like community that come to some shows yeah Maybe some of our shows, maybe some of like shows that they have been around for a while and then they they come back later because they want to just like see a certain artist and they're like, oh my God, this crowd is weird. The vibe has changed. Yeah, it's changed. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know, like I I almost feel like we can't have it all, right? Like we want everyone, see, it's like, do you want people to work and like be able to survive and like tour and have your headline show and do stuff? Mm -hmm. or? Do you want to just do art and culture on your own terms? And yeah, maybe only 40 to 50 people show up because you're doing your thing. Yeah. And I think that kind of relates to something you were saying before, too, about how you were explaining that, you know, the underground culture, things are still there, but it feels maybe overshadowed a little bit by other things that are getting more attention that are maybe like big moments that are like trying to get the viral moment or whatever. And I think that has a lot to do with like economically this year. I think it's still kind of hard, right? It's like, we're still in that phase of like post COVID. It's like very expensive to throw good shows. And I think the, the players that are like essential for the underground, while they are probably like, hopefully always going to be a mainstay and like, they know what they're doing. It's like, things have gotten tough for like those folks who are not necessarily like the commercial ones. So I think I agree with what you're saying in that, like, we can't have it all right now. We're in a moment of like big mainstream and like things are sometimes like a little over the top and a little silly, but I actually think that hopefully what that means is maybe this coming year will be a little step down from that where we'll be able to balance out a little bit. Maybe we won't be like, covered in radio samples anymore which honestly is probably a good thing but then maybe we'll be able to focus more on like okay we might have like less people but more dedicated people who are going out to the shows that are really good shows who bring on good talent focusing on like new and upcoming artists that are like worth our time Mm. building them up a little bit more but i don't know it could also take longer than one year so i think we'll start to see a little bit of that but yeah totally i i i do hope sincerely hope 
just for the strength of the ecosystem that there are less this is a trend that we can leave behind mm. less themed parties less secret lineups okay more in LA especially mm. you know and I, and I, I even say this for Brian's Lemonade you know would love to have more showcases of up and coming artists more artist development mm-hmm. more attention being paid to the music not the vibes mm-hmm. more attention being paid to to the like individual songs and the understanding of like what constitutes a good st- set instead of like a whoop whoop <laughs> when there's a good yeah. when there's a four on the floor house drop mm. you know like i just i think that yes the gateway was open to the first timers who came out of covid having never gone to these things might be their first rave ever totally yeah. let's give mm-hmm. them some time to get acquainted yeah now yes you can buy tickets off of like genuine interest in going to see a really good show rather than your whole group of friends is going because it's a rave, mm. you know? And mm. I think, look, again, you can't have it both ways, but I do think we can start to support artists more because like, like I've said before, like, yes, it's great that these music festivals are selling out without a lineup, but that like some of them, that means that no one is going for the lineup. Mm, yeah, you know if the, if if the, if the sure. festival is selling out before a lineup is is dropped, that means that the God. consumer cares <laughs> more about the experience and the name of the event mm. rather than the artists. And like because you should challenge the institution to be like, this lineup doesn't hold up to my expectations. Which I feel like we've seen a lot of, actually, probably more and more so now with those kind of major festivals that maybe typically would sell out. Is like, actually, I think when the lineup comes out now, people are slightly disappointed sometimes. Mm. And they're like, oh, wait, like maybe they were buying into like the trust of the curation previously. But now it's like, why are we, you know, even on the industry side, let's focus on the lineup and like let's deliver like a really good lineup of like maybe they're not going to be all the like Skrillexes or like, you know, the big ticket like. For sure, they would have sold the tickets anyways, but maybe like, you know, experiment a little. Well, I think I, I do think that the discourse is strong with like people talking about like, I went to EDC and I didn't expect that I was going to be at this one stage. And yeah. oh, my God, it was mm-hmm. awesome. And I walked away and like this particular artist who I never heard about is now someone I have my eye on and yeah. I want to go see their Which show. Which is kind of the best. And yeah. that does happen a lot. Yeah. I have to give credit where credit is due. And I got to give credit to Insomniac for... You know, the headliner is you model. It does work <laughs> yeah. for people who just want to go and like, dis- like they want to go discover stuff or they want to have an experience. And I think that's an honest means to then like maybe, you know, like, like, like I think the theming at the Insomniac events is really solid mm. and, and the experiential and like, you know, they have a really good sense of like, people are going to come here, maybe your everyday people they're going to walk away with something, you know? And I think that's good for the industry as a whole. Um, But I would like to see it kind of come back a little bit more for the artists as well. Yeah. um, In their individual spaces, you know? Yeah. Well, speaking of artists, I would love to know who were the main takeaways for you from this past year of people that you maybe you either discovered them or saw them really like come into themselves this past year and who you think is going to be having a big year in 2024. That's a great question. Um, I, I mentioned that uh, a lot of the, I think a lot of the really cool cutting edge stuff and the, the really interesting stuff for me is coming out of the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 
it's definitely I'm not I'm not saying anything uh, you know profound by <laughs> by saying that like you know breaks and drum and bass and a lot of this like UK garage stuff and mm-hmm. the deeper dubstep stuff is really the coolest stuff right now. And, Having a moment, yeah. for sure. And we and we saw it permeate a little bit more into the wider dance music culture in America this yes. year, yeah. and into pop music and like other spaces like K-pop, K-pop, New Jeans, shout New out, jeans. and uh, <laughs> yeah, it was cool. Uh, it reminded me of like the late '90s, early 2000s when some of that stuff you hear like, you know, Daniel Bedingfield and yes. like Dirty Back Vegas on the radio, him. and you're like, <laughs> what? what's happening? <laughs> Where's, uh, where's, you know, Kelly Clarkson or whatever. <laughs> um, but, uh, I think, yeah, I think like Peary and Tommy, um, really cool group out of, it's a duo. Uh, she's a singer songwriter and he is a, uh, Tommy's a producer, mm-hmm. um, making like really cool drum and bass kind of stuff, really fun. And just Kush really introduced me to them late last year, but I saw and heard a lot more amazing stuff from them this year even heard them at the gym recently which is like if if your music is getting played at planet fitness then i think that you know it's it's starting to hit that's the world we live in now i think planet fitness is down for drum and bass that's that's the commercial mainstream world we're in right now absolutely to be honest it's a good analogy that captures it really well absolutely and also an artist that had been around for a minute that i had mentioned i i I used to follow him back in the day when he was making totally different music but salute out of the UK, mm-hmm. having a really good year. Mm-hmm. I know you saw Salute at Portola. Yeah, I mean, that's he was definitely one that was on my list as far as like moments and artists that I recall from this past year being like, oh, like something exciting is happening here. Um, I think him and Portola specifically, there were two days of Portola and Salute was an opener on one day and the other opener was Azeka, who has more of like a darker house meets techno kind of sound. Both of them started playing at like 2 p.m. and by like 2.15 had a really solid crowd at both of their sets. And I think that that's, that's a great sign that some, they're doing something right. People are excited about the music that they're making. And I'm sure that they're going to continue releasing really good music into 2024. Yeah. So. I think I think that, that music's going to continue. Like drum and bass is going to be one of the top genres in the United States mm-hmm. next year. I think that's one thing I could say. Um, Chase and and Status just sold out the Palladium in like two hours. Yeah. Um, They had one of the biggest years out of any dance music act, which is, it goes to show you that music doesn't exist in a linear chronology anymore. Yeah, because they've been around for a long time. Forever. (laughs) And when an artist that's been around for 15, 20 years can have their strongest year ever now, um, it goes to show you that the tools here at your disposal can benefit anyone mm-hmm. like uh if we're going to talk about let's talk about like best sets or best shows of the year mm. um chase and status boiler room i think for a lot of people has to be top of the list near near the top yeah uh just the way that like the clips from that set you know all uh fred again um but just shows you the sheer power of the optics of boiler room mm-hmm. just like we had Chase and Status play DNBNL last year, and like it was a good set, but it it wasn't something that like I don't think I I don't know if like I walked away thinking like oh this like they're gonna have this like huge cultural right. you know Moment. paradigm shift yeah. for them, um, but they were like they're just like pros you know mm-hmm. who just nail it, and then 
this thing happens and it, co- it coincides with Badadon, which is like one of the biggest songs of the year. And it's just like this perfect, just cocktail of, of hype and interest. And yeah. People love the fast right now. Too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really cool. Yeah. I think it's just really cool to see that. What, what was something like for show wise that you saw or that kind of caught your attention? God, I feel like there actually were quite a few. I mean, we already talked about Portola, so I won't like, you know, waste too much more time talking about it. But I do feel like that was a good moment for because we've been sitting in this this era of people being into house and darker sounds for a little bit on a more commercial level than I think ever before. So I think Portola this year felt like a really good example of people maybe like the trickle down effect. I do feel like we've hit the peak of that now. I don't feel like techno is going to be as big as it was this past year and this coming year. I think now we'll probably see like the tail end of like faster music, drum and bass for sure. I think we'll maybe have that big like era, but it felt like now the the people that love the music and like were willing to dig a little deeper were there Mm. and like paying attention to the new artists that we just mentioned. And also at the same time, like I do think it was a good year for kind of like throwback artists having a new moment because same thing at Portola Skrillex was one of the headliners and he played a very throwback Skrillex set that it did include a lot of his new music but it just felt like for some reason it was like the right moment for him to do that again and I know you had a really good moment with Skrillex earlier this year as well right yeah yeah yeah. I I mentioned it before but the five hour sunny I think that was like what was on a ticket it's like sunny like Sunny plays doors. Close. Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was uh, a five hour Skrillex set at Red Rocks. I mean, one of the 10 best sets I've probably ever seen in my life. But yeah. for him, especially, you know, I, I've seen him quite a lot, seen him a few times this year. That one felt like we got the full experience of an artist that has, you know, the 15 year catalog and, you know, has the versatility but like knew how to put it in a set that made sense like when he opened Mm -hmm. up he was in the middle of the crowd it was daytime and this dude was playing like piano studio ghibli covers you know like he he started (laughs) as low as you could go Mm -hmm. in just vibes and energy and just like there's like vibrations and it just like slowly went up Mm. and then by like 11 o'clock he was playing like you know he was playing scary monsters and nice sprites <laughs> and just going straight in. It was it was really impressive to see an artist putting that out there, but like, you know, eight, nine thousand people feeding it back. Like we've mm-hmm. all needed this, you know, and it, it was cool. You know, I I I do feel like a lot of legacy acts can go up there and really just do anything and mm. and I think kind of get away with it. Yeah. But I will so. say I don't think a lot of legacy acts like even approach an opportunity like that in that way. Like I do think obviously the legacy acts are still out there and like playing shows, but for Skrillex to like almost take the challenge of doing like an open to close, like he doesn't need to do that. You know, like no. he can literally just show up for a festival headliner set and people will still be really excited, as I was, to see him at Portola. But it's cool that he's willing to be like, Hey, like I'm still a DJ, still enjoy like challenging myself to like create a set that flows for five hours and right. be able to like take a crowd that's maybe expecting the big hits and have them also be like oh that was cool like the, the more ambient chill stuff and yeah. That's cool. yeah yeah it was it was it was impressive it was someone who obviously knows music really well especially their music but yeah. you know you got to imagine it's like he's got the jay baldwin stuff he's got the quest for fire stuff he's got mm-hmm. 
Jack U stuff yep. and every Sonic palette that he's had over the years, you know, is its own, like, you have to go through these different journeys. It's like being on a ride at Disneyland, you know, there's like, yeah. there's going to be like different in a, in a dark ride, you know, you're going to go into these different <laughs> worlds, you know, and at one point it's going to hit this like this fever pitch and then yeah. you kind of come back down at the end. And that's kind of yes. what he did. Then he had like more of the sing-alongs at the end. Honestly, I I don't know like if a four or five hour set is something that I would really be interested in watching most artists do because right. it's like I just think that you're probably on a sick one getting a, a, a nice body buzz and like <laughs> listening to like a repetitive house kind of yeah set. You know, yeah. that that's what I'm thinking when someone's DJing for five hours. Mm-hmm. So to do it with like vocals and like just be it's it's cool. And yeah. I I don't know if I would want to see another five-hour set from an artist, um, <laughs> but I'm glad I had that experience. But at the same time, now maybe it like hopefully will inspire artists to be able to look at like something you said earlier was being able to treat a set and like be able to almost like treat it like its own art, right? Like building a set is its own art in a way. So who knows? Like maybe that's inspiration for artists who would typically only do an hour, two hours max to be like, wait, what could I do with a five-hour set? Like what? Yeah. What would be able to capture people's attention for that long. Well, one of the things Wookie said is that he felt like an hour, 90 minutes is like not enough sometimes, like that yeah. they could do more. But then I start to wonder if like, I don't know, like is that what people even want? Yeah, it's interesting, right? I, I feel like people's attention spans are not great. I think, know? well, that's what I think I'm saying is like, I think it would be extra challenging for the artist to be able to do it. Right. And to commit yeah. to being like, because I think you're right. I think it's like an hour feels like the easiest commitment for like a festival goer. You're like an hour. No worries. I'll do that for sure. But like five hours, like how are you going to keep someone sitting there the whole time? Like, well, yeah. And like even Fred again, the night we went, you know, mm-hmm. I felt like it was kind of abrupt. LA. Yeah. But then I thought he was someone was like, oh, he's he went till so and so last night. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, I, I don't know if that was true or not, but it would have been a like 30 or 40 minute longer set. Mm. And it felt like maybe because I had that expectation that it was going to be that long and it was not that long. You know, it's just like maybe it was just a rumor going around. Yeah. Well, I think, well, specifically for that show, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about that show because I think the context of it is I feel like I've been a Fredigan fan for a really long time. And I do feel like that show had some interesting like pacing. But I also wonder if that's maybe just an example of like, we forget that he's a really new artist in many ways. Like, obviously, he's a very, like, talented producer who has had a ton of producer credit. So he's not a stranger to making really good music. But I think putting on an actual show that is just his show that's not a festival set is very new in many ways for him. So my personal thought for that was it was interesting to see someone who technically is, like, very masterful with his music then be challenged by, like, oh, what is your show set going to be and how is it going to flow and can you keep people's attention for that long and I think both of us had some thoughts about like it definitely was a good show I think production wise there was a lot of good thought put into it but again I think that's just another like you were saying like an artist looking at their own set in that way can be its own new challenge totally and I mean let's compare that to a show that we you came to which I was happy that you were able to see you Mm -hmm. know ISO and knock two yeah um, so Isonoc did the same room, right? In the shrine in LA. Shrine, yeah. yeah. And, um, multiple nights, also. multiple nights. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, what they did was extremely ambitious. They did two headline shows back to back. One was the Room 202 finale set and then ISO Exo's Kids Kids Gone Mad like debut set. Mm-hmm. So they did two headline essentially 75 minute sets back to back with then a 30 minute back to back of them two at the end. So you got a three hour show, which Mm -hmm. by the way, had insane production, incredible like cues. ISO jumped out of the crowd in a toaster, like into the air. (laughs) Not an actual toaster. Yeah, but that's what, that's what they called. They called it the toaster. When you pop out of the bottom of the stage. popped out of the bottom. Exactly. (laughs) Like a pop tart. Now I'm imagining him actually coming out of a toaster. (laughs) (laughs) He's just, Nice and warm, um, <laughs> fireworks, pyro, cryo. Mm-hmm. It was like it was. It was I think show. I think that was the epitome of the excellence of like the American production mm. of electronic music events. But also, this is again going back to the article. This is what some people don't like about where electronic music is at. I think it's a net net positive that we're getting like. People, especially these two kids who are young people who are in their early 20s, mm. who can dial in that kind of, of experience where, like, people are not going to be bored at all for three hours, you know? Yeah. I think that in itself is a feat. Yeah. Obviously, there's a tremendous amount of time and resources and manpower, human power that went into it. There's, mm-hmm. like, 40, 50 people working on this thing, but... I think that's the standard that headliners need to hold, uphold for themselves going into the future because in this competitive, oversaturated landscape, I mean, that's what it's going to require, I think, and to justify the ticket price. Yeah, for sure. Yes, I think the last part of what you said also, that that is a kind of an underlying thing that maybe people don't realize is also like there's a lot happening there that, again, requires effort and a level of showmanship to be able to justify not only keeping people's attention span, but also spending a very decent amount of money to buy a ticket. So I think you're right. I think they're definitely a case of artists that did a really amazing job and probably are going to be doing some very exciting stuff in the coming year. Um, Definitely like a high level of artistry there, which is cool. I think that's good because I do think like one of our other recent Val Chad episode topics was talking about like headliners and like, are we kind of losing big headliners and while I don't think Noctu and ISOXO are like you know going to be the next Taylor Swift by any means I do think like it's exciting to see artists that represent dance music also be like wow they are really putting effort in in the way that a pop star would to their early shows totally I mean the last thing I'll say on that is that because I've been there since the very beginning of those two artist careers I said it last year I'm like these two kids are going to be two of the biggest DJs in America you know and I don't just, I'm not just saying things like that. You know, you can just see they have like an X factor or a certain thing that artists, I think, need to elevate to that level, right? Mm-hmm. Not, And I see other artists that have it too, but they have to be able to like within their own, of their own volition, tap into their work ethic, tap into their, it has to all come together in that way, right? Yeah. So I think that's something that hopefully because they raise the bar, the same way that, like, back in the day when Daft Punk came out with the Pyramid, it made everyone in the industry say, damn, I need to, like, come correct with, like, my show. It's got to have yeah. that. And then we kind of went away from it, like we talked about. Now now we're kind of, like, we're going down on the production a little bit. We want to be <laughs> in a 360 capacity. We want to be more with the people. Mm-hmm. But maybe it'll evolve in another way where it just becomes more abstract and it becomes more, you know, like, theatrical or... Interesting. Yeah. You know, I think Fred again was more in that way. 
mm-hmm. where it was like it was it did feel experimental yeah. on a grand scale. Yes. You know? Yeah. So I'd be yeah. interested to see more of that. I I, I want to ask real quick um, while we still have some time, like, what are some resolutions you got for next year? Because we got New Year's coming up and twenty twenty four is coming up. I know musical resolutions. I think for me, you know, we we started the episode off kind of mentioning this, but I feel like for me, one thing that I hope to do more of is to just like dig a little further. I think I've definitely fallen into the the times like what we're talking about, right? With like this feeling of like showmanship and artists and like people artists having to like fight for people's attention spans like i think that's just like by nature of like right now it's like it's like tiktok is like the discovery tool that people use for finding new music it's not soundcloud anymore so it's like you kind of have to make a spectacle and like a video in order to get people's attention or something and i feel like i have found myself veering away from like doing taking the effort to like dig a little deeper and find new music and like interesting music so that's something that i think for the coming year, I hope to do more of because I do like, you know, there's so many interesting artists out there. And I think we actually are at a higher level of music being made than ever before because it's like so accessible to learn how to produce good music. Yeah. So it's out there. I think it just takes a little effort. And to be honest, I definitely could see myself needing to do that a little bit more. So, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's great. There's a lot of tools at your disposal uh, to discover new music. Mm hmm. And we were just on Hannah Rad's holiday charity stream, and mm-hmm. they were asking us how to discover music. I, I had given some examples, like there's TikTok accounts that are just like beats from the '90s that have no business being this good, part 34. <laughs> and honestly, I'll see one of those and I'll be like, "Damn!" Like I'll go to Spotify immediately, yeah. start, you know, favoriting stuff. But you know, also doing it for new music. I think is important. Yeah, because yeah, you said that before is that you actually probably discovered more new but actually old music this year, yeah. right? Like you were yeah. digging in the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah, well, I think a lot of it is because everything is so derivative. Like yeah. one example is like I really like vaporwave music mm-hmm. and I like internet music that samples a bygone era but like makes it sort of aesthetically interesting. Um, and then after a while, I just started to be like, well, I kind of just want to go and listen to the samples. And then when yeah. I started listening to samples, I started creating playlists. And then now the algorithm is feeding me new music that I haven't discovered from the 80s. Wow. And I almost kind of am in my own silo. When it comes to discovery, I live with old music more for mm-hmm. that reason. Because then when I go back to listen to things like, you know, lo-fi, hip-hop, or funk, <laughs> or like some of these like other genres that are in that same category. Yeah. I just hear the same samples being used all the time. Disco house. Mm. Even a lot of like the regular house music that's being produced is just, again, it's using samples from a bygone era. Yeah. And I almost just like the old music. I like the source material better. And that source material a lot of times was inspired by something else. Yeah. So you can go back even further. So. Yeah. I had mentioned to you that on my Spotify rap, my number two artist was an artist by the name of Masayoshi Takanaka, <laughs> who is a very prolific uh, fusion jazz and city pop jazz guitarist yeah. from Japan in the 80s. Um, he's 70 years old now. Amazing. But uh, but that <laughs> was my number, number two, two artist <laughs> under Skrillex because, uh, and you know, honestly, the only reason why Skrillex was number one is because he had so much material and yeah. I listened to the albums a couple times. Mm-hmm. 
But like, I don't think my Spotify, it's way more like individualized songs than it is mm. like the artists themselves. But I did listen to this one specific Japanese artist a lot. And I was like, damn, I just discovered this this year through YouTube. And yeah, it, it's, it's cool. But then you can just get too much in your comfort zone, right? Yeah. But I will say, I think that's really interesting and hopefully actually inspiring to, I don't know if people are out there listening, because I think that's cool that you were discovering music, even if it was in the other direction, going older music. Because I do think that's something that's maybe overlooked nowadays, like because there's so much new music coming out that like, and a lot of the younger kids maybe don't even know like the history of samples or how samples even work sometimes when they hear these songs that are literally like, almost like edits of old songs. They're just like, oh, that's what it sounds like. And you're like, no, there's actually like a lot of history there. Yeah. That's cool. Maybe go do that. And then also <laughs> like, you know, uh, on that topic, like my favorite artist maybe right now isn't on Spotify. Mm. So, Deep you know, cut. yeah. Very hipster of you. Well, it, it is another <laughs> Japanese artist, uh, Tatsuro Yamashita. I mean, his catalog is not on Spotify. He's oh, one gosh. of the greatest, um, he's one of the greatest, you know, pop artists of the 1980s uh, and longer than that, but from Japan. And, you know, that's one of the drawbacks of relying mm. too heavily on the DSPs, you know. Hey, maybe True. five years from now, it, we have a similar thing that happened in visual media mm. and the people that own the catalogs want to have their own streaming services a la carte. Mm. So now you got to have five audio streaming services if you want to listen to the sony stuff or if you want to listen no, to the don't universal don't even say that i'm just don't saying even wish that upon us i'm just saying it, it for, in my opinion i think it's kind of i don't want to say destroyed hollywood but it's definitely made things less important mm. and i don't know if it's going to happen to music but you know something to keep in mind interesting now that's why i think that for me in 2024 my resolution would be get yeah. outside my comfort zone okay that's and I one. think that that also extends to like, I'm just going to go to more shows that aren't uh, electronic music. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think, yeah, that's always a, uh, it's always informative and interesting. Like I've always loved whether it's going to shows or just like learning about how different genres work, both in like fandoms and artists and whatever. But I do feel like it makes you learn and appreciate things about dance music culture that are unique to us. So yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I well, like that. 2023 has been a great year. It it's has definitely been a, great been a year. lot of transition. Yes. Um, that's a good way to put it, honestly. Yeah. It, I won't say it was a good year. Like, I think that there's <laughs> there's been more good than bad. I agree. But uh, a lot of transitional stuff. I still don't know how I feel about a lot of things. You know, I think mm. this podcast has been good, I guess, maybe venting in real time. <laughs> but hopefully next year is a little bit more solidified. I think that's also kind of elusive to hope that things are going to be more solid. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think I agree in that this year for sure was a transitional year. I think that if anything, what we're taking from it, I feel like we can all agree on what we started the episode talking about that like people are interested in dance music. However you define it, there's many ways you can define what dance music is, but people are interested in it. These waves always happen where it's exciting when there's that much attention on it, but that attention also brings some silly negative things but those of us who really enjoy the music and the culture that surrounds it, like we know we're here to stay. So it's just going to be about seeing what comes next. And I do think like the positives are we have some really like innovative producers and music makers who have a lot of like abilities now. And with the excitement and interest on the mainstream level, like 
hopefully the events side of things will also reciprocate and take on the responsibility of like bringing on artists that deserve it and maybe taking some chances and bringing up some people that aren't like the obvious names that you could book. And I think if that is true, we'll see some exciting moments for 2024. But I think overall, I think I'm excited. Yeah. I think I'm hopeful. No, me too. (laughs) And I'm just really glad, you know, at least because we're kind of wrapping up this first iteration of all this noise. You know, I'm so glad that a lot of the goals that we had, we pretty much nailed all of them. Yeah. So I'm I'm stoked on that. Even yes. stuff like I want to get a track on here. Yeah. You we know, did. We want to do an episode <laughs> pretty much every week. Which we did. I mean, last week we didn't do an episode, but that's because we were on. I said we were on the holiday streams. So yeah, was... exactly. We're back, and we had to wrap it up with one little end of the year episode. Totally. But um. But yeah, thank you so much for like just this whole experience this year has been awesome. Yes. And uh, I think next year will be good. More to come from us here at All This Noise. We're going to interview some more fun people and have more discussions like this. And I'm just glad we have this place to do that. Totally. We're going to take a little holiday break. Hope you guys have a great holiday season as well. We'll see you in 2024. Thanks to Jose, our producer. Yes. Icon Collective, our home of All This Noise. Ho, ho, Jose. (laughs) And all of you for listening. Thank you so much. We love you guys. Take care.